0: Welcome to the Resonate Boise Sermons podcast. Today, you'll be hearing from Mark Cheney as he continues our Colossians sermon series, looking at the marks of a mature Christian. Amen. How are we doing? Come on, how are we doing this morning, guys? It's been a good week. The snow and rain, it's a little tough, I know. I'm not, I'm not a big winter guy, but, you know, we're dealing with it. The Broncos got to win on Saturday. Come on, shout out. All right, I got a question for you to get started this morning. What's a TV show that you're watching? You know it gets dark at like 5 p.m. these days, so you got to be turning on the TV shows. What TV show are you guys watching now? Shout them out. I want to hear. The Great British Baking Show. Survivor. Survivor. Law and Order. Nice. The Office. Some people are still watching The Office. Yeah. Shout, <laughs> shout out. Shout out. Shout uh, out. Me and Gabby, we're watching this show called Suits. Raise of hands if you've heard of Suits or seen Suits. Come on. I've been talking about it as much as I can because it is an incredible show. If you don't know, his name is Mike, the main character. He's a fraud and he's not a lawyer, even though he works for a law firm. So it's pretty interesting the kind of things that he gets in and the trouble that he gets the firm in and everything like that. So that's the show me and Gabby have been watching. But we've been telling like everybody that we know about it, right? Everybody who's like, man, we're watching this show. We're like, hey, have you heard of Suits, right? The point that I'm trying to make here is that we want to share what we are passionate about. And in my personal life, I'm reminded of this truth when I meet new people. Have you guys ever maybe had this experience? I'm specifically thinking about a guy that I met in the sub last year. I like sat, I like sat down next to him. was like, dude, what's going on, man? How's your, like, you know, what's your name? Started to get to know him. And it was like Stonewall, like just... Uh-huh, yep, nope, like, okay. Like, I'm like, I'm running out of questions to ask here. So what I did was I, like, noticed his his sweatshirt. It was, like, Iron Man, not, like, the sh- uh, the movie, but, like, the race Iron Man. I was like, dude, what's, what's an Iron Man? Just, like, kind of threw that out in the dark. And then literally for the next 30 minutes, I got told what an Iron Man was, how his family was involved, everything like that. So even like someone that's introverted, if you find what they are passionate about, something that they love, they will just talk your ear off. And it was all of a sudden reverse where I was only getting a couple of words in every few minutes, you know? I was getting overwhelmed by that. But the the truth is that we share what we are connected to. And I think. Uh, We see this in word-of-mouth marketing. Word-of-mouth marketing is very impactful, both positively and negatively. If you have a good experience somewhere with uh, a restaurant or a product, you're gonna tell people about that. And then also, if you have a bad experience at a restaurant, let's say you overpaid for food that wasn't very good, You're going to tell people about that. You're going to let people know, hey, I didn't really have a good experience with this. We, as people, share what we are connected to. And so today, I want to explore how that concept concept relates to Christian maturity. Uh, We're in a series going through the book of Colossians, talking about the marks of a mature Christian. And early on in this series, just to remind you guys, we defined Christian maturity as becoming more like Jesus. There's this gradual process of using Jesus as the example, and as Christians, uh, we are to mature, we are to become more like Jesus. And so today, we're actually concluding our series by looking at Colossians chapter 4. So if you have your copy of scripture, phone, whatever you're looking on, uh, would you go to Colossians chapter 4? We're going to be in verses 2 through 6 today. And this is Paul's final teaching in the book of Colossians. After verses two through six, we just get some personal greetings. Paul kind of lists out people and says, yo, what's going on, man? You know, I'm over here in prison, actually. Paul's writing this letter uh, from prison, and so he's just greeting a bunch of people. So in verses two through six, we see his final teaching to the church in Colossae, and it says this, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So this is Paul, uh, this kind of concluding message. And the main point that we can take from this passage, and it's our main point for today, is that mature Christians are watchful witnesses. This is our final mark of Christian maturity, that mature Christians are watchful witnesses. And so I just want to take some time this morning. We're going to define like a witness and what that is and what that means, what it means to be watchful. And then we're going to very practically talk about how we can be watchful witnesses to the people around us. And so let's start by defining what it means to be a watchful witness. In this passage, Paul starts in verse 2 by saying, devote yourselves to prayer. So he's saying that prayer is very essential for uh, the church in Colossae. And he says, hey, while you're actually thinking about prayer, I have some prayer requests of my own. He says, pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan, to share the gospel. And so to be a witness means to proclaim the story of Jesus to the people around us, that we are to be witnesses to the world. When we think about the word witness and this idea, we actually see that um, a witness was someone throughout all of scripture. So there there were witnesses who witnessed like uh, oaths that we talked about even in the summer, like when people had land deals, there was like witnesses that they would come and say, okay, you guys like traded this land so nobody can kind of say, hey, this didn't happen. We have witnesses here. So a witness is just very simply someone who saw something. Even you think about a court case uh, in today's uh, times, you know, if you have a witness, that person saw something. And then there's this idea of bearing witness. If you were to bear witness, you are to speak about what you have seen. Whatever you have seen, you are to speak about. And so in our context and what Paul is talking about is we have seen God work in our lives and in the world around us. And so we are to bear witness about what we have seen, bear witness to the people around him. We also see in Mark chapter 16, after Jesus has risen from the grave, uh, he's conquered sin and death, he actually says this to his disciples. It's Mark 16 verse 15. It says, And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. So this is a command from Jesus himself saying, this is your role. Being a witness about the gospel isn't just something that was done in the past. This is something that you and me as Christians that we are to do. We are called to share the gospel. As disciples of Jesus, as mature Christians, we are called to share the gospel. And so I want to talk about maybe the difference, because I think that we all recognize that we uh, share what we're passionate about in regards to other things other than the gospel, like, right? you know, like your favorite food, the restaurant, kind of like what I was talking about. But then there's something different when it comes to sharing the gospel, and I want to I just talk about that for a little bit. So think about a time when you share what you're passionate about with someone. 99% of the time, you don't get any pushback. Like, if you say, hey, this restaurant is amazing, maybe somebody's like, eh, I don't really agree with you, but they may not even say that. They're not gonna speak up and kind of, you know, tell you <laughs> what to do or something like that, right? If you share stuff you're passionate about, there's really no pushback. But then, when we come to the gospel, there's, there's almost a cost that comes with sharing the gospel. The gospel is naturally offensive. As we say, Jesus is the way to eternal life, and Jesus is who we should submit to, if people are not in agreement with that, it's offensive to them. Because we're saying, um, the gospel kind of says, hey, whatever way you're following, that's actually not going to provide you what you think it will, right? That the gospel is what does that. And so the gospel is naturally offensive. So there is a cost to sharing the gospel. And in our culture, here in the United States, it's, it's a social cost, right? That the most that's gonna happen to you is you're gonna get told off, you might lose a friend or two, somebody uh, who you know in your life because they're like, oh, now that I know that, that Mark's a Christian, like, I don't know if I should hang out with him. Like That's the kind of cost that could happen. Like In my life, I've personally rarely had any of those experiences, even on campus. People usually just kind of turn a cold shoulder and say, hey, I don't really want to talk about that. And you're like, okay, that's good. But I want to kind of put the cost that we experience in context with other places around the world, and then even uh, in history, look at some of the cost of sharing the gospel that people have gone through. And so, if we look outside of our country today, you find places like China where you can get put in jail or even killed for sharing the gospel. What's funny is, as Paul uh, in this passage talks about sharing the gospel, the reason, like, he's in jail because he shared the gospel, right? And then if we even look at Jesus, Jesus was bearing witness about himself, that the reason he was crucified was because he said, I am the son of God. And that was blasphemy. That was too much for the Jewish people to handle. They said, no, you're not. And because you said that, there's consequences for that. Like, because you are claiming to be the son of God, we are going to put you to death on the cross. So there is a cost to sharing the gospel. But the good news is that it is worth it. That it is worth it to share the gospel and to be witnesses to the world despite the cost, right? Jesus says that I will be with you. I'll be with you as you do this. He's not just hanging us out to dry, right? We see that we are called to share the gospel uh, and the cost is worth it. And even Paul, here in this passage, uh, he also gives us some insight on how we should witness He doesn't just say, hey, go out and do this, but he actually gives us some pretty practical, helpful uh, tools to witness to the people around us. So that's what I wanna look at, is three uh, ways that we can witness wisely. And they come from verses five and six. It says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you have the right response for everyone. And so the first thing that Paul says is to live wisely among those who are not believers. So I just kind of condensed that and said, consider the non-believer. And that might seem pretty simple, but I think it can be really easy for us to get caught up just in our Christian circles, that we just have our Christian friends, the people that we know. And so then when we're thinking about our life, sometimes it's hard to think about the people who are non-believers in our lives, right? Or even to think about Jesus, and the fact that Jesus, rather than spending all of his time with the religious leaders the people that were socially, like, you know, that he should have hung out with, especially if he was claiming to be the son of God, right? He should have been in the temple all the time with the high and mighty people, but that's not what we see. We see that in the life of Jesus, he actually hung out with the tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors and sinners, and back in that day, sinners was a little bit different than we think of now. Like, you and me, if we said sinners, we're like, hey, you know what? I'm a sinner. All of us are sinners, right? But in the Jewish culture and in Jesus' day, uh, the, the sinners was like a social class of people. So if you had a disease, if you committed uh, a terrible sin or crime, you were considered a sinner, and specifically people like the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they wouldn't hang out with the tax collectors and sinners, right? Because their view of, um, they, they thought that if they hung out with those people that they would then be tainted with their sin. But Jesus actually shows us that no, we are to go out into the broken spaces because we are being the light of the world, that we can bring light to those dark spaces. And then in John three seventeen, it says that God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So Jesus didn't come uh, with a gavel, you know, to judge us for what we're doing, right? No, he came to, to pave a way that we could have a relationship with the Father. It's pretty incredible. So we need to consider the non-believer. And I think another way that we can do that is to not speak Christianese, uh, we have a lot of language and a lot of words that may be confusing to people outside of the church. And so I think something that as we witness wisely, we are to evaluate where someone's at. If, if someone's curious in Jesus, this might be a really good opportunity to teach them some of the things, the language, some of the, the ways we describe things, right? But if somebody's maybe not very curious about Jesus or you don't have a lot of relationship with this person, it might be more helpful to contextualize the gospel to something that they will understand. Use language and terms that they're going to understand rather than say words like justification or something like that. And they just kind of look at you with a blank face like, what are you talking about, you know? We need to evaluate where people are at and then use language accordingly. And so the first way uh, that Paul says we can witness wisely is to consider the non-believer. The second thing is to utilize your time. He says, make the most of every opportunity. And the book of James actually speaks about this. Uh, It says, look here, you who say today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there for a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It is here for a, a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. I think it's so easy, specifically in our culture, to just take time and people for granted. Like, I think about high school. And when I was in high school with my high school friends, I thought that that was never going to end. That those people were going to be pillars in my life for my whole life. And then all of a sudden, I go away from high school. And now, like, I get to see my best friend from high school, like, two times a year, you know, he just got married this summer, so I got to see him then, but all of a sudden, when I was hanging out with him every day after school, that seems very different from now, and then even in college, I had this roommate, uh, his name was Jordan, uh, and we were, we were really close, and we would watch football on, college football on Saturdays, and hang out, and we weren't really thinking about the time just two years later, when he now lives in Indiana, and I don't get to see him, I get to see him like once a year, right? We just never thought that those times would come. And the scripture here, it says that your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while and then it's gone. And so as we are witnesses to the world, we need to make the most of every opportunity with the people around us because we honestly, we don't know how long we will have or how long they will have. And so that's the second point is to utilize your time. The third way that we can witness wisely is to speak graciously. Uh, In verse six, it said, let your conversations be gracious and attractive. So as we talk about Jesus, as we are representatives of Jesus here on this earth, the way that we speak is very important. I think as people even learn that you are a Christian, they will listen to how you speak And they will honestly make judgments about your relationship with God, even though that's not right. They will see how you speak, and then they will say, oh, that must be what Christians do. Sometimes something that blows my mind is that I may be the only Christian that someone knows. That in their life, the only example of Jesus that they have in their life is me. And dang, that's scary. And that doesn't, like, obviously, we're going to screw up, right? Like, we're not called to be perfect, But something that I've kind of worked through in my life is we need to analyze our speech. How do we talk about the world and the things of this world, about Jesus, right? And a question that I like to ask myself is, is my speech building people up or is it tearing people down? It can be so easy to be critical and tear people down or things down with our language. But this isn't what we see in the life of Jesus, And then another way that we can kind of be gracious with our speech is how we talk about the gospel. Uh, I think of last year, there was a street preacher on campus. And when I think about street preachers, I'm a little bit conflicted because when I have engaged and listened to them, you know, stood there for a few minutes and listened to street preachers specifically on Boise State's campus, I honestly haven't met someone where I didn't agree with their theology. Like the, the truth that they are speaking, I'm like, dang, like, yeah, I agree with all of that. But then I take a step back and I think about the people that are in that sphere that may know Jesus, may not know Jesus, and I just don't necessarily know if people walk away with a new curiosity about the gospel. At least in my experience, what I've seen is people walk away frustrated, angry, and more confused than when they started. I I specifically think of an example uh, from last year. Uh, There's a picture there's this guy standing with a sign that up above is just a list of sins, a list of sins uh, that people can uh, commit. And then it just says, hell awaits, judgment is coming. And, you know, I look at that and I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I technically agree with that. You know, that's what the Bible says, that judgment is coming for those who do not believe in Jesus. But I don't know if that's uh, gracious and attractive, right? It was almost like a fear tactic They're like, you better watch what you're doing because otherwise you're going to hell. And this in my mind is the exact um, opposite of how we saw Jesus interact with the lost. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus was really serious when he was speaking to people like the Pharisees Man, Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, that you look really good on the outside and you are dead on the inside. So there were times that Jesus really spoke truth and he got to the point. But then when he was hanging out with lost people, with the tax collectors and the sinners, he had a different sentiment with him, right? He talked about the hope that they can have in the gospel, that that they can have healing if they believe in him. He talked about the eternal kingdom that's coming, where there will be no brokenness, there will be no sin. There was a different sentiment. And so I think as our jobs, as representatives of Jesus... We need to be able to speak with grace and allow our speech to be attractive to the people around us. Do people have more questions and newfound curiosity about Jesus after we talk with them? I think that should be one of our goals. Even if they don't respond to the gospel, can we, can we just prompt some, some heart questions? You know? Can we just prompt things to be stirred up in their hearts? And so witnessing wisely uh, looks like considering non-believers. It looks like utilizing our time and then speaking graciously. So this is all about the word witness. Our first point was, you know, mature Christians are watchful witnesses. Well, this is what it means to be a witness. But What about that first part of watchful? And we get that from verse two where it says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. The ESV actually translates alert mind as watchful. And when I first saw that, I thought of watchful as like cautious or careful, that we need to be careful as we kind of engage the world. I was like, okay, that kind of makes sense. But then I did some further research and I realized that, no, I was completely wrong. Uh, The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright has this to say about watchful. He says, the connection here with thanksgiving may suggest the threefold rhythm, intercession, watching for answers to prayer, and then thanksgiving when answers appear. So the word watchful is actually referring to this idea of watching as God moves around us. That specifically in this example, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. So as we pray and we intercede for people in our lives and we make requests to God, we need to be watchful for him to be working in our lives. There's almost this idea of being expectant. Like, man, my prayers, I have faith that God is going to move in the people around me. And as we are witnesses in the world, I think this heart posture is extremely important. That as we go out, Uh, into this world, we need to be expectant that, man, the Holy Spirit is working ahead, that the harvest is plentiful. There are people around me who are curious about Jesus, even if they don't realize it, right? That we'll be open to having spiritual conversations. And then that last part is, man, we need to praise and thank God when he moves. When he moves, man, we need to be celebrating for the ways that he is working. And so mature Christians are watchful witnesses. And before we talk about how we can be watchful witnesses, I just want to quickly hit on our role versus God's role. Uh, that Our role in being witnesses is to be obedient to share the gospel and to pursue the people around us with love that Christ has shown us, right? That we are to be obedient in engaging in these spaces. That's our role. But then God's role is the heart transformation. You have no responsibility over how people respond to the gospel. Now, obviously, we're supposed to be gracious. We're supposed to you know, share the gospel genuinely. And if you're doing that, then you have no responsibility over how people respond. And honestly, that's praise God. Because in my life, in my relatively short time of doing ministry, I've gotten those things backwards. That I've had conversations with people where I share about Jesus and how he's worked in my life, and maybe they respond just kind of like passively, like, I just don't, I don't really know if I want that or need that or something like that. And then I walk away from the conversation thinking it's my fault. Like, oh gosh, Mark, you know what, what could you have said differently? You know, was there something you could have done? Was there something you could have said? Maybe you said that wrong or whatever. Uh, And it's good to critique ourselves as we should the gospel, right? But man, that is not my responsibility, right? Our responsibility is to be obedient. And then we are to pray that God would work in their hearts. And it's God's role to, for the heart transformation. And so I just really want that to be apparent today. That as we go out and as we are witnesses to the world around us, we're just to be obedient. And God is going to move. God is going to change the hearts around us. So for the rest of our time today, I just want to get really, really practical. Our last point is this, watchful witnesses infuse everyday activities with intentionality to bless others. Watchful witnesses infuse everyday activities with intentionality to bless others. And so what I want to make sure is clear is that being a watchful witness doesn't necessarily mean adding tasks to your day. This is not me saying, hey, now you got to do these extra five things, add to your week. No. No. This is about kind of putting on lenses or or different perspective about how you go about your day and your life. That, man, there's a chance that there could be kingdom impact from what I'm doing today. You know, that we can be obedient to move and to go about our world with eyes for who is interested in the gospel. And so, Uh, I want to share a tool with you called the BLESS model. This is a missionary tool uh, that missionaries use all over the place. And it basically just uh, allows us to think of our everyday activities a little bit differently. And so uh, the B stands for begin with prayer. Uh, The L stands for listen and engage. The E stands for eat together. The S stands for serve. And the second S stands for story. And so we're going to just go through each of these and talk about them for a little bit. But I I want you guys to think about these, and then we're going to even have time at the end to just discuss how you can implement some of this stuff into uh, this week and how you can kind of bless the people around you. And so as we go out and bless others, we must begin with prayer. Like I said, the power to change hearts is not in our lives. It's in God, the same God that raised Jesus from the dead, right? There's power there. Uh, and so we need to begin with prayer. Maybe that looks like a bigger chunk at the beginning of your day before you go out. Maybe that looks like smaller chunks throughout your day. But I think if we try to serve and if we try to be witnesses to the world without prayer or without a connection to the Father, I think we're, we're doing it wrong. Like, we're, we're backwards, right? We're trying to rely on our own power rather than the power of the Spirit. And so we need to begin with prayer. And then the L stands for listen and engage. And I think this is helpful as we even talked about considering the non-believer. Sometimes, and I mean, I've fallen into this, but we just think that we have the truth and those people don't. And so what does that mean? We need to go and share the truth with other people. So we just need to, you know, say, hey, do you know the gospel? Oh, you don't know the gospel, let me tell you about the gospel. And sometimes that can be effective, but what's a lot more what people actually enjoy is you asking questions like, hey, how's your life? What are you going through? You know? And then you're kind of listening to how that might like play into the gospel story. And then you can actually share the gospel a lot more uh unique to their story and it usually has a lot more impact on them when we do that. Uh, Back in James, it says this, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. It's our natural tendency to want to speak first. But if we are able to listen and ask deep questions, honestly, like Jesus did, uh, we can see that this is how we can get to people's hearts. People will know that we are different when we start caring about their lives. They might ask you, whoa, why do you wanna know that? about me. And I think that's a great place to be because they know they notice that you are different. You have something going on in your heart. So the L stands for listen and engage. Uh, The E in bless stands for eat together. Something that we all have in common is that we eat every single day. All of us do. Usually at work, everybody has lunch. And so what if instead of eating lunch by yourself, you just ate lunch with a coworker? What if one night, instead of me and Gabby just having dinner by ourselves, we invited someone in our lives to come and eat dinner with us? I think inviting people into your homes is so, um, honestly, it's vulnerable. And people notice something there. You're like, wow, you want to actually cook a meal for me? You want to invite me into your home? There's something different about that, right? Um, And then uh, there's a saying that trust is built around the table. And I think that's really key. I think that's why we even have food as a staple of village is because we we know that trust is built around the table and you get a group of people in the room together and you're eating and all of a sudden walls start coming down, right? You know, people seem more relational and real with each other. And so the E is for eat together. And then the first S stands for serve. That as you get to know someone and you hear about their life, there might be some needs that they have. And so how can we step up and be the hands and feet of Jesus to them? Very tangibly. You know, maybe it's finances. Maybe it's just a shoulder to cry on. Like maybe they just need someone in their life to, to listen to them. You know, there's a lot of different ways that we can serve the people around us, but that's, that's what Jesus did. At every opportunity, Jesus was ready to step up and to serve people. And so we should be ready to do the same. And then finally, The second S stands for story, that as you eat with people, as you listen to them, as you serve them, uh, there will be opportunities for you to share about your life. Usually what I've found is that when I ask someone a deep question about their life, if they maybe don't know what to say back, sometimes they'll just say like the same question back to me. Well, what about you? And this is an opportunity for you to share about the hope that you have in Jesus. Maybe you're able to share the whole gospel and the whole story of Jesus. Or maybe you just share a piece of your knowledge of what you know of why you live and do the things that you do, right? We have opportunities to share the story. And maybe sharing the story happens on the first time that you meet somebody. Maybe it happens five months down the road, but we need to be obedient to be willing to share the story of Jesus, the hope and purpose that we have in our lives to the people around us. And so as we bless people, we begin with prayer, listen and engage, eat together, serve them, and then share the story of Jesus. And so as we close, I just want to take a minute to remind us of the last part of the Great Commission. After Jesus says to go and make disciples and to teach them, he says this, and be sure of this, that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so as we go out, as we are watchful witnesses to the world around us, Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit is there with you. Yes, it can be scary to do these things. There's nerves that happen, awkward situations, but we gotta be expectant. We have to be watchful for where the Lord is working. And so maybe uh, as you're kind of nervous or, or worried about doing these things, I think our centering force in these moments should be a couple of truths. One, that Jesus has conquered sin and death that we know the end of the story and we know who wins, that Jesus has conquered sin and death. And then the second truth is that the spirit, which has that same power lives within each and every one of us. And so God is very physically with us as we go into the world. So these truths should uh, give you encouragement uh, and even courage to go out and be witnesses to the world. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, I thank you for your son dying on the cross. And what that take, what that took, God, the cost uh, that you bore for our sin, God, the cost of the gospel that you were willing to endure. Jesus, I just pray for us in this room. God, would you give us courage? God, wisdom to, to witness to the people around us. God, wisdom to know who, who's, who's moving closer to you, who, who's curious about the things of heaven. And then to be able to be bold and to ask deep and hard questions, God, to enter spaces of brokenness that may be unnatural for us. God, I thank you for the ways that, that you have even Interwoven our stories into this room, that we were all in a place of brokenness, God, and that there are people out there very similar to us. So would you use us to be your hands and feet to impact the world around us? So thank you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.